Good evening, family. I'm Ryan, one of the pastors here. I will begin with this quote from a Puritan from a few hundred years ago to set the stage, and this is what he says, what he wrote. Sin is the natural man's element. He is as unwilling to part with it as fish are to come out of the water onto dry land. Man is a captive, a prisoner, and a slave, but he loves his conqueror, his jailer, and master. We're prisoners to our sin, enslaved by our evil desires, bound by the false idols that we worship. Yet, the point that Thomas Boston is making is that we have Stockholm Syndrome. We, we are captors, but we love our jailer. And it, I know that I'm starting out with an assertion. This is an assertion. I'm not arguing for it. I'm claiming this because it's not hard to argue this. You've all felt this. You've all felt trapped. Trapped by your desires. Tra trapped to not be able to do what you want to do. Trapped by not getting out of that rut that you are stuck in. Enslaved. And we can say that everyone needs to adjust to our desires. <laughs> that that's what would justify them. That, well, this is how I live. This is who I am. This is it. My desires are who I am. And so... I will not change any of my desires. I will expect all of you to adjust to my, and vice versa. Or we can admit honestly that something needs to drastically change in us. You don't get out of prison by lying and saying it's not a prison. That's not freedom. To say it's just how I live my life this is how it is, is to lie to yourself that you're not in prison. But claiming that doesn't make you free. We actually get out of prison. Can we do something different, Jeff? You good? What I'm saying is this. We don't get out of prison by lying about it and saying it's not a prison. We get out of prison by a friend setting us free. And that's Matthew 27. So Matthew 27, this is what we're going to be looking at tonight. The count of Jesus' trial. Matthew 27, if you have your Bible, you can look at it with me because I want you, because I'm just going to unpack it as I go. Matthew 27, verse 15. Matthew 27, 15. This is the count of Jesus' trial. Verse 15. At the festival... The governor's custom was to release the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ, the Messiah. For he knew it was because of envy that they, the religious leaders, had handed Jesus over. And so it had become a tradition each year at the, the uh, yearly celebration of the Passover for them to release one prisoner 
to, to kind of honor the Jewish tradition, to honor the, the Passover. And so the Romans are participating at this at this point. And he's saying, all right, this is what we do every year. So I'm going to uh, let one out. Barabbas, a well-known prisoner. Now, the Gospel of Luke clarifies for us who Barabbas is. You see here he's a notorious prisoner, and you're like, okay, what else? Well, Luke says that he's a murderer and an insurrectionist. That's who he is. Probably a, a zealot who rebelled against Roman rule. What, what he wanted, what the insurrectionists wanted, was a, a coup of the Roman uh, invasion and the Roman government, a violent pushing back against the Romans and getting these pagans out of their country, and he's thrown in jail for this. D.A. Carson considers that there's three crosses pretty quickly after the end of Good Friday, or for, for Friday to actually happen as it did. And, and what he argues is that potentially that third cross was for Barabbas. And potentially the two criminals that are crucified later on the outside were possibly cohorts in cahoots with Barabbas, they're part of the insurrection uh, trying to overthrow the Roman government. And so Pilate, which seems like a good leader at this point, tries to attempt to appeal to logic. Like, do you want Barabbas to go free this guy who's murdered others? Do you, you want him to be on the street? Or do you want Jesus to go free? And, and just logically, he's thinking, surely the people are going to say, let Jesus go free because he's innocent. There's nothing, he's done nothing to warrant capital punishment. But you've got this murder over here, this insurrectionist, this, this one who's committed treason against the mightiest empire of the time, Rome. And what does he deserve? Death. And so, of course, surely he's going he's gonna to pose sucks such a juxtaposition to the crowd that they're going to be like, okay, of course, Jesus. Like, we don't want that guy free. Pilate sees their motive. Jesus is there because of envy, because the religious leaders are envious of his work, his ministry, his following. But Pilate makes a few fatal mistakes. And first one here is he, he assumes that the crowd is going to be a fair and discerning jury. There's not 12 of them. There's maybe hundreds of them. There's, this is going to be a fair and discerning journey. But before he even gets their response, he gets interrupted. He gets his wife's verdict in verse 19. While he's sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. Now, dreams are not strange in the book of Matthew. You, we saw it in the first two chapters. You see it there uh, with a dream to Joseph that God gives him a dream to tell him about Mary's pregnancy and about Jesus. And then he gives a dream to the wise men, God does, so that they don't go back to Herod. And then he gives another dream to Joseph to say, escape to Egypt because Herod is trying to kill all the boys under two years old. So flee. And then you've got this dream now where God speaks to Pilate's wife in a dream and reveals to her uh, at the least that Jesus is a innocent, righteous man. And so she sends word to her husband right before he makes his verdict, makes his judgment saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I've had a terrible dream about him. But the mob's pressure becomes more powerful than his wife's dream. Verse 20, the chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas 
persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release to, uh, for you? Barabbas, they answered. Barabbas. Pilate asked them, what should I do with Jesus, the one called Christ? They answered, crucify him. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. Crucify him. What should we do? Crucify him. So stirred up by the religious leaders, the crowd turns into a a mob with a mob mentality that, that refuses to see what Pilate is saying, that Jesus has done nothing wrong, but they want Jesus to die and Barabbas to be set free. Like they can't think straight. They've been led by the religious leader into like a state of hateful frenzy. And they're, gonna, they're going to get blood. They don't want justice. They want blood. And they're going to get it. And so they keep yelling, crucify him who jesus not barabbas crucify jesus crucify jesus now in this moment you've seen this you, you've seen how even like peaceful protests can become violent mobs right where it's like well maybe it started well but then something got off like a it, it just Logic gets thrown out the window. Everyone's stirred up emotionally, and then they demand what they want. And if this is a picket line, what they're essentially saying is like, what do we want? And everyone, like the leader is walking around. I don't know if they got signs at this point, if they had some makeshift papyrus that they could have put together. But they start with this, like, what do we want? Jesus dead. When do we want it? Now. Like, that's what's happened to this mob. They will only be appeased by Jesus' death. So, so what is Pilate going to do? Well, in the story of Jesus, it seems like his life, Jesus' life, is hanging in the balance of Pilate's leadership. Verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said... I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. What happens with Pilate is that he surrenders, the mob wins but he symbolically washes his hands to claim innocent. I mean, it's like Michael Scott on The Office declaring bankruptcy out loud. Like, bankruptcy doesn't work that way. You don't just say it out loud and you go. Like, you, that's not how you do it. Same thing here. Just because you washed your hands in front of us, does that make you innocent? No. Just because you said you're not guilty doesn't make you not guilty. Pilate gives them what they want, but takes no responsibility. I've seen a few. I've, I've seen a few fail videos in my life, and I think of one where, uh, well, I can think of probably 107 of these videos, but it's a man in his house watching 
his team on the TV, and this particular man uh, stands up beside his wife, starts yelling at the TV, picks up a tower speaker, breaks it over the coffee table, and she goes, what are you doing? And he goes, it's not my fault. My team stinks. It's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do something violently and in your anger and then say, it's not my fault. This is what's happening with my leg, not me. I've washed my hands with him. I'm clean. And the people are so enraged and committed to Jesus' death that they claim his blood is on them. We'll take it. We'll take the guilt. We'll even let the guilt be on our kids so they can get what they want in this moment. Barabbas set free and Jesus put to death. They don't care about the consequences. Can you feel with me that this, like, isn't this the devastation of our evil desires? This is what they do. They lead to destruction, destroying our own lives, destroying other people's lives. Like, this is what happens when you do get what you want, when you want all the time. Chaos and destruction. But in this, we see the beauty of the gospel on display. Instead of Barabbas being crucified, Jesus is. The murderer, the guilty one, is set free. The gospel is good news of substitution. Why I want you to see this tonight on Good Friday before we get to Easter Sunday is so that you can not distant yourself from this account, but that you would see with me that we're all Barabbas. We're all guilty. We're all in prison, enslaved to sin, and deserve to be judged and punished for our our insurrection, you're like, I've never tried to overthrow the government, but yes, in your sin, you have tried to overthrow God. You have not thrown a coup to try to push out the Romans from your city, but you've pushed and tried to kick God out of your life and overthrow him as the one who sits on the throne. So you insurrectionist, me, an insurrectionist, deserve to be killed, dead. The death penalty. We're passionate zealots fighting God for our autonomy. But the reality is we are heading to be judged, not by Pilate or a mob, but by the almighty God. Family, the truth is we will stand before him and hear his verdict on our life. Not the wild, hateful frenzy of a mob, but the clear, definitive justice of God for your treason. Justly charged with insurrection. And so what we need, just like Barabbas, is a substitute. Jesus in your place. You will not go free unless someone pays the penalty you have accrued. And when you think substitute, you may think teacher. And when I think about substitute teacher, I think 
of my substitute teachers, and I think about, man, it's going to be an easy day because we're going to kind of blow through something. Don't think about substitute. Maybe think about this way. If I was coaching my, my, baseball, my, my son's baseball game on, uh, on Saturday, and it's the bottom of the last thing, the time's running out, We've got bases loaded, but like our worst player is up to bat. I'm like, oh, like, what am I going to do with this? Like, just smile because the parents are in the crowd, but I wish someone else was up to bat, you know? And then my, my choice as the head coach would be like, all right, we're going to sub. And they're like, who are you subbing in? I'm like, myself. Put it on the tee, and I'm going to hit it 270 yards out of this park, and we're going to win. That's it. It's a little, it's terrible analogy, but it's a little bit to try to make sense. You see what's happening? Like you're the, you're the five-year-old that is going to lose everything. You're going to lose the game for all of us. You need a substitute. John Stott in the cross of Christ wrote this. The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be, but God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. You are Barabbas. And Jesus is God substituting himself for you. The mob cries, his blood be on our hands. His blood be on our hands. But what they need is his shed blood to wash away their guilt. Like they don't understand what they're saying. They don't get it. They're like, yes, we'll take all the guilt for killing him. But in killing him is not a move of power. Because the powerful one, him, the righteous one, is laying himself down, his life willingly to be Barabbas's and Dan's and Kaylee's and Jared's and Chad's substitute. That's what he's doing. This is God's rescue plan to substitute himself to forgive and save guilty sinners like us. And this is foreshadowed throughout human history. God in the garden kills an animal so that Adam and Eve don't die of shame, but actually the skin covers their shame. And then there's a ram caught in the brush when Abram, Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And what? There's a substitute that God provides. And And then you think about the Day of Atonement. For a whole nation, one lamb is killed for the penalty of their sins. Took their place. Then hundreds of years before Jesus is in front of Pilate, Isaiah turned this substitution into a prophecy 
And this is how he said, he said, Jesus will be pierced for our rebellion. So that's what I'm saying. You can't stiff arm this. And you can't put yourself in the place of Jesus in the story. That's not you. We're Barabbas in the story. All of us. Jesus will be pierced for our rebellion, the prophecy said. Crushed because of our iniquities. Wounded to heal us. Punished for our sin, although he is the righteous one. The only innocent man to ever live. It goes on to finish with, by his death, we are justified. Meaning, Isaiah 53 really ends with, he was counted as one of the rebels to save the rebels. He was treated like Barabbas so that you could be treated like him by the Father. Do you hear me? We all need a substitute. That's what we're here. And so, kids, I know you're in here. Do you see me? Substitution equals Jesus in my place. So I'm going to say substitution. Kids, Elliot, Max, that's all I can see from here. I'm going to say substitution. I want to hear you say Jesus in my place. Substitution. What does substitution mean? Substitution. That is what's happening here. That's the good news of Good Friday. That's why we can use that adjective for this day. The bad news is what that meant for Jesus. He's flogged. For him to be our substitute means he's flogged. So a leather whip with long leather laces with bones, shards of bones, and rocks are put into the leather. So I I know you thought maybe like a whip. No, this is a flogging. This is bone shards and rocks being sunk into the flesh through the whip and then ripped out, pulling off the skin, the flesh, the meat of Jesus' back. Jesus was flogged in your place. He's crucified. The word excruciating was coined by the cross. That wasn't a word before. When you say you have excruciating back pain, where that came from is how terrible a death it was to die on the cross. It literally means from the cross. How bad is your pain? My back pain is like from the cross kind of pain. That's what we're saying. Excruciating pain. And part of that pain is that that person is on the cross slowly dying from asphyxiation, suffocating to death. And not in a jail cell, but publicly for everyone to see and to shame and to mock. So religious leaders walk by and mock them. Some of, some of the crosses back in the day were at eye level so that you could look at them and speak to them and spit on them while they're crucified to a cross. Jesus is stripped naked, mocked by the religious leaders, mocked by the Roman soldiers, mocked by the crowd who is there to celebrate the 
Passover. All this to be our substitute. He's humiliated, so you will be humbled. He's mocked, so you can be lavished by the Father. He's beaten, so you can be healed. He's cast off so that you'll never be forsaken. So you'll be gifted the Spirit of God forever. He's killed so you can be born again. So if you're not a Christian, the only thing you can do right now, if this is you, is run to the cross. Run to the cross. There, there's no other substitute for you. There's no other mediator to to reconcile you to God and and to make you in fellowship with him and to know him and enjoy him forever. There's no other one, no other sacrifice to wash you clean from your guilt and shame. John Calvin wrote, when our Lord Jesus Christ is judged before an earthly judge, it was in order that we might be exempt and absolved from the condemnation that we deserve before the heavenly judge. Substitution. Christ in your place. If you're not a Christian, just as Christ stood before Pilate 2,000 years ago, you're going to stand before God. In all reality, you're living your life, Coram Deo, before his face right now. Will you plead your own goodness and good works? Or will you humbly receive your substitute? I cry out. I'm saying run to the, flee to the cross. Confess your sin to him. Confess you believe he did what he did for you. So kids, I said, Jesus in my place. Can you say for me? Jesus in my place. That's what we're talking about. Like, run to the cross. This is for you. Ask for his forgiveness and let his love flood into your soul. If you are a Christian, seeing ourselves as Barabbas, you know what that means? You are free. You're free. You're free. You're not a prisoner any longer. You're not waiting on death row. You're not captured by your desires and your sin. You're free. You're free. I mean, you can ignore your substitute and volunteer as a slave to sin, but your reality is you're free. And so what I'm saying is, Don't volunteer for it. Don't sign up for it. You're free. I'm saying you're like the inmate who has been, oh, I won't say that, falsely in prison because we would all be rightly in prison, right? But we're like the inmate that's been there for 20 years, finally gets out, and we're just like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We're out of here. 
for 20 years been defined by being a prisoner, defined by what we've done. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you will no longer, if you believe me, you will no longer be defined by your sin, what sin has been done against you. You'll be defined by my substitution for you. Be free. Which means tonight, this is a somber moment to see why did we need a substitute? If you're a Christian, then you see that I can't make light of the items that crucified my God. I'm going to confess my sin and live in freedom. I am going to put it to death. I'm going to take that insurrectionist passion and, uh, you know, zealousness to war against the sin in me and actually love my substitute. That's what I'm going to do. And so what we're going to do is, is give you time to confess to the Lord tonight, to respond to him. Whether you're a Christian or not, if you're not a Christian, what I'm telling you is run to him in this and confess you need him and that he is your only chance. He's your only substitution. And if you're a Christian, I'm inviting you to also run to the cross and take your sin to him. To stop hiding, stop being mastered by your sin, Stop loving your jailer. I guess your previous jailer. Like, stop. And confess it to the Lord. And walk with Jesus in freedom. Father, I ask for that. I pray that you would set prisoners free tonight. And I, I pray those that are Christians would also be set free if they've volunteered again for this slavery, this imprisonment. And that we'd walk in the light as you are in the light. We would confess and humbly come to you with the weight of guilt on our sin, but in looking at the cross, we walk away full of gratitude, living in gratitude, choosing gratitude for your grace to us. In Christ's name.